welcome back to the Brilliant Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Jalen Bowden, and if you're joining us for the first time, welcome to the family. This podcast is just a tiny part of a much larger community where kingdom-minded people just like you are taking hold of new keys that lead to lasting transformation. And here at Brilliant, we believe the learning process with God doesn't have to feel heavy. In fact, we have a lot of fun in this family. We're dedicated to seeing everyday people truly understand what God is like and who they get to be because of it. Today's episode is all about disempowering old covenant thinking that depicts God as distant, harsh, and uninvolved in our lives. We know the way that God walks with us. So let's dive in with Graham Cook as he explores the beauty of a better covenant. Matthew 5 says that uh, Jesus has fulfilled the law so that we have no requirement on us except to learn the law of love. And the law of love just says nobody on earth is safe from a blessing. Everybody out there is fair game to practice love on. So we're practicing love on everybody on our family, on our friends, on our enemies, on difficult people. No one's safe from being loved. And sometimes the more difficult the relationship, the more love you get to give. And the more love God gives you. And so in a weird way, difficult people help you to grow in love way more quickly than your friends. Because we love our friends, we love hanging out and everything else, but difficult people who get right in your face, they are a shortcut into something marvelous. Because this is how the New Testament teaches us to be. It teaches us the majesty and the sovereignty of God in incredible ways so that we realize I'm getting opportunities all the time to prove that I'm in love with Jesus. (laughs) We have a bunch of owls over here. I just go, it's true, it's true, it's all true. Romans 8.2 says that the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life is the law of love. The fact that God absolutely loves you and is completely determined to set you free. When God swears to us by his name and nature, we become heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus in that same promise. So the oath that God gives in this matter is his eternal purpose enshrined in a promise surrounded by absolute intention that carries this dynamic eternal focus. I am going to set you free if it kills me. Oh, but wait, it did. Yeah? That Jesus died for your absolute freedom and anything that takes that freedom away from us is devoutly to be avoided and resisted. 
we are not subject to the same rules and regulations that legalistic people were in the shadow of the old covenant. What you think about God is most vital. Legalism depicts God as distant, severe, joyless, and uninvolved in any tangible way. It even says in the most severe kinds of evangelicalism that God is not able to heal anybody anymore, that He doesn't talk to us about our future, and He doesn't, He's not really interested in the substance of our life, so you better budget because you're on your own. That God is not that seriously involved with us. As long as we go to church and pay our tithe and do the best we can, that's the most that we can hope for. Which, to me, sounds like the doctrine of devils. Because you have to ask the question, who benefits from that stuff? Who benefits from powerless Christianity? Is God glorified in that? that apparently now he wrote a book and lost his voice, so he doesn't speak to us anymore. We have to read about it. Who benefits from that? Who benefits from the fact that Jesus healed, but now apparently he doesn't? Who benefits from that? Is the Lord glorified in that? Is he glorified in being portrayed as powerless? Does the world benefit because they can't get healed? Do the church benefit because we don't have any authority anymore? Who benefits? There's only one person who benefits, and that's the devil. He glorifies, he's glorified in our impotence. Hebrews 6.13 says that God promises by Himself. And when He does that, what He's doing is He's promising Himself. I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does that mean? If God is powerless to do anything, you know, what's the importance of Him hanging around? Seriously. You have to think through what are the consequences of everything that we believe. Where does believing that ultimately take me? When you believe that God, you know, doesn't heal people anymore, it takes you into a place where He is not present for people. And that's not the gospel. There are two unchangeable things that, he, that it, when He utters this oath, He utters it by these two things. And one of them is that Jesus is our high priest. And the Latin for priest is pontifex, and it means a bridge builder between God and man. That's who Jesus is for us. Before Christ, the high priest could offer a sacrifice once a year, and that would keep a covenant, you know, for a year. And then Jesus comes along and becomes the real bridge between God and us, and in Himself keeps the covenant that we now actually live by. Uh, it's interesting, you know, in, uh, in Hebrews uh, 7 and verse 12, 
It says this, when the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. So when Jesus became the high priest, not only did the priesthood change, but the law changed with it. So the old law and the old rules became irrelevant in Christ. Any rule outside the law of love is now inadequate to express who God is. What's interesting is that in the Old Testament, all the priests were from the tribe of Levi, but Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. So what's God doing there? He's saying that all the priestly line in Levi is deactivated in Christ. When the priesthood changes, the law changes. And the law was wiped out as a means of relating to God. Let me read you this in Hebrews 8.13. When he, that's Jesus, when he said a new covenant, he has made the first covenant obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Jesus makes the old covenant obsolete. This is what we're not saying. Nudge your neighbor and say, you know, he's not saying this. I am not saying that the Old Testament is obsolete. I'm saying the Old Covenant is obsolete. And now the Old Testament has to be reinterpreted in the light of the New Testament. Yeah, so you see that especially in terms of words of judgment. Because now that Jesus has been judged, that Calvary was a place of judgment on Christ for the sins of humanity, so now that we're in the new covenant, there is no place of judging mankind in this life. Between Calvary, which was one place of judgment, and, and on the judgment day when the world has been rolled up and stuffed in a closet somewhere, and we all stand before God, and when the world is over, there will be another day of judgment. So between those two days of judgment, there's no judgment for sin in this life. Because the thing you have to ask, question you have to ask is, was Jesus judged enough for sin? What do you think? Yes. Some of you are like, well, I'm not sure where this is going, so I'm not saying anything right now. Here's the issue. If Jesus was not judged 100% for sin, there's not a single one of us can be saved. Because your salvation is uncertain if he's not judged 100%. Because your salvation is determined on the fact that Jesus was 100% judged for sin. So did the Father pour out every last ounce of wrath and indignation upon Jesus for sin? So he hasn't got any left then. See, that's the consequence of what we're talking about. He hasn't got any left. If he poured it all out on Jesus, then there is no place for the anger of God on mankind in this life. Now, come a day, they will all stand before the judgment seat of God, and those who never committed their life to Jesus, they're going to feel something that they won't like.
But here's the issue. You can't have it both ways. You can't mix the old covenant with the new covenant. It doesn't make you safe. It makes you impotent. It curtails your freedom. It stops you. It puts this ceiling above your experience in terms of who God is for you and who you can be in Him. It's important to understand Jesus as high priest, that His priesthood is permanent. Let me read you something again from Hebrews. Chapter 7 and verse 21. For they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because He continues forever, holds His priesthood permanently. Therefore, He is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Here's the thing, the, the part of the role of the priesthood was to offer sacrifice. Jesus did that once, and He's not doing it anymore. So now He ever lives to make intercession for us. So Jesus is praying for us right now. Aren't you interested in what He's praying? Don't you want to know? It's like, OMG, Jesus is praying for me. I want to know what He's praying. I want to write it down. He's not offering sacrifices anymore. He only had to do it once. And now, you know, I was in uh, <clears throat> Belfast in Northern Ireland. And um, I love the Irish. They are the funniest, most passionate people, I think, uh, and they have a way of seeing things, uh, particularly, you know, in spiritual terms. And uh, I was doing a conference with a friend of mine, and, and he was doing the opening message. And he said, so uh, Jesus came to earth, lived as a sinless man, did miracles, signs, wonders, healed people, cast out devils. And then he went on the cross, and he died, and he went in the grave, and then he was raised from the dead. What does Jesus do all day? Everyone's going, what? What does Jesus do all day? Because he's not a priest like all the others. He's offered one sacrifice, so he's not at all bothered about sin now because he, he's dealt with it once and for all. So what does, what does Jesus do all day? Does he like put his feet up and watch TV? What does he do all day? And then he brought out this scripture in Hebrews 7.25 that he ever lives to make intercession for us. 
that the passion of Jesus is your life and praying for it, praying that you would get it, praying that you'd understand it, praying that you would enjoy it, praying that you would live in it, praying that you would overcome, praying that you'd learn to be generous, that you'd learn to be happy, that you'd smile more than twice a week, praying for you constantly, praying that you would become like the Godhead, praying that you would come into your inheritance, praying that you would love walking by faith, praying that you would adore trusting the Lord and it would be a happy place for you, praying that there would be no struggle in your life, no striving, because the Prince of Peace has made His home in you. So praying that you would understand peace, praying that you'd live in it, praying that you would understand that you as a believer don't have to be bothered by stress, that there is a stress-free life involved in who Jesus is, praying for you constantly, constantly, unchangingly, praying for you as a person and thoroughly delighted in those prayers. And so then we discover that the Holy Spirit, He's also praying. Romans 8 says He groans in intercession. That's because He has to live with us. Right. Jesus is Lord over the church. The Holy Spirit is Lord inside the church. And He's the one that takes everything that belongs to Jesus and makes sure we understand it. John 16, 13 to 15. God made an oath about the priesthood of Jesus and He will not change His mind. But I do believe that God is the enemy of legalism. And I see a battle coming in the body of Christ in this country. Because I think the Lord is absolutely 1,000% determined to make sure that every blood-bought child of God is totally 100% free. To follow Him, to pursue Him, to walk with Him without any rules, without any restraint, living in the fullness of the grace of God, living in the passion of Jesus, and becoming responsible people because we are the beloved. This is a perfect priesthood. Jesus is the only sinless priest ever. So He makes a sacrifice in Himself that never needs repeating. He opens the door to God by becoming the door that's open in us. Nothing can be added to that sacrifice because His death for us and His life in us makes us secure. We are a royal priesthood taking all our cues from Him.